you see me in the video? I was passing out water. But water is really important fuel for a marathon. And I know it's true because I jogged the Chicago Marathon in 2009. And I have the medal and a t-shirt to prove it. Uh, when I began my marathon training, I look exactly the same as I look today, just five years younger. So let that sink in for a minute. 26.2 miles with this. I was so slow that when I reached mile 20, they were out of pretzels. It was devastating. But even worse, there were these marathon walkers. And of course, I passed them at one point in the marathon. Well, they decided they were going to run the last mile and beat me. So that was painful. But I finished the race, and that was my goal. And what the video says about fuel for the race of life is true. Carbs, sugar, salt, water, all essential fuel for running a marathon. But for me, even more, well, equally important was the mental fuel that I needed to run a marathon. So at the very beginning of my training, I was taught to tell myself literally out loud that I was a marathoner. So as I run, I would say, I am a marathoner. And the world of the marathon is open to me. A little weird. During the race, during the actual marathon, I said over and over to myself, starting about mile 20, you can do this. The only reason you can do this is you've trained for this. You've trained for this. That's why you can finish this marathon. And these pieces of mental fuel I learned from a book and a man. The book was called The Non-Runner's Guide to Marathon Training, and the man was Don Williams, who I'm sure many of you know. He goes to church uh, here with us, and he knows a lot about running. We've dug into the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and the words are found in a book, the Bible, and they were spoken by a man who is God, and his name is Jesus. If you've missed any teachings this summer, and I know that if your family is anything like mine, you've missed some Sundays this this summer, because summer, uh, just go online, you can watch, you can listen to any of the teachings. So the sermon starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this blessing or beatitude, these beatitudes at the beginning of the sermon, they are the mental fuel of grace for Jesus' followers. Alice calls this first beatitude home base because we return here over and over again as we uh, need safety and forgiveness and we return to this home base to get strength to persevere as we run the race of life. So this grace-filled blessing is for all of us who feel beat up or anyone who's ever failed or fallen down. When you don't know what your next move is, when you thought you knew what you were doing, but you realize you don't have a clue. It's for you when you were just, you're running and living that race that's marked out for you and you find yourself in grief and despair, disappointment, pain, discouragement. Jesus says, take heart. You have access to the kingdom of heaven starting today and lasting forever. And this new status that Jesus has given you and he's given me, 
we receive that before we've ever done a single thing to earn it. And that's what we call grace. And it's a beautiful thing. So Jesus lays out this beautiful message of grace to you. Blessed are you. And then he makes a turn. And he starts to lay out an extremely challenging race course for life. He begins to say things like this. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, stop calling each other names. Murdering with your words. Because feeding the fuel of your anger kills exactly the same way. And then Brian was here a couple weeks ago, and he uh, taught this encouragement that Jesus gives us, Jesus' encouragement to build and, and put our energy into a secret, a secret, hidden relationship with him and his Father, where our faith is not a performance. Then Jesus says, why are you being so obnoxious? What are you doing? Why are you trying to get a sliver out of your brother's eye when you have a tree branch coming out of yours? One of my personal favorites. And then Jesus urges his listeners to become known for how they treat their enemies, their oppressors, people who are different. And then last week, Julie was here, and she taught Jesus' encouragement to ask your father with boldness for what you need. When you go back and you read over this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it is an incredibly challenging, high-impact way to live. And then in Matthew 7, 12, Jesus gives us a summary of this extreme challenge, these high expectations he's laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, So, in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. In everything, do. This isn't about feelings or beliefs. This is about, like, do is an action word. This is about actually treating other people the way you would have them treat you. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you need to understand that God is doing something new through me. And your faith is no longer about keeping a set of rules. It's about you and God and you and other people. So when you look at, at Matthew seven twelve and you read it and you see what it says, can you, in everything, all the time, every day, in your real life, with real people, can you do to others what you would have them do to you? No, you can't. No one can. Don't even think for a minute that you can. And then when we realize that, Jesus has us right back at home base. And it's exactly where he wants us. Just when we realize there is no way for us to meet his high expectations, Jesus provides a way. And the way involves a gate and a road. And that takes me to the passage of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to explore today. So Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many find it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. Enter through the narrow gate. And this is good news 
for us. Jesus is saying, I know you can't do it. I know you can't meet my high expectations I just laid out for you. That is why I am here. That's why my father sent me. So the narrow gate is Jesus. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And at this moment, he is saying, I will lead you to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The narrow gate opens onto a narrow path that leads to life, abundant and eternal life with God. Jesus says, enter. He calls us to move, to act, to do something. Jesus doesn't shout and wave and manipulate. Jesus offers an invitation. He demands a response. He is asking for a moment of decision. And I wonder if there are some people here this morning who've been standing at the narrow gate of Jesus for a while. And can I just ask you, what's holding you back? And I know that there are a lot of reasons that are holding you back. And I know that some of those reasons are probably other Christians. Some of their behavior. And I really want to apologize for that. But the fact remains that Jesus, in spite of the flaws and failures of his followers, is still offering you an invitation. He's asking you to make a decision about him. So if that's you this morning, I want to offer you um, just a a moment of chance to, to enter through the narrow gate. And I think Dave Bartlett describes it the best as anyone. It's very simple. Dave says, if you're standing at the gate of Jesus and you're ready to enter, all you have to do is give all that you know of yourself to all that you know of Jesus. So it might sound something like this. Jesus, I give me my past, my present, my future, my accomplishment, my success and my failures to all that I know of you. It's as simple as that, and you can do that at any time. Later, we're going to take communion. It would be a great time to do that, and we'd love to talk with you if you uh, are at that point where you're ready to enter through that gate. So Jesus is calling his listeners here to a moment of decision, and he is confident that the only way to truly live is to enter into life and training with him. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus will go with you, and your life will never be the same. So Jesus offers this incredible invitation. He calls people to a moment of decision, and then he does an interesting thing. He begins to compare and contrast two roads, a wide road and a narrow road. Now something happens frequently in modern Christians at this moment. We take these verses and we pull them out of their context. And we begin to think that these verses are about having correct doctrine. So it might sound something like this. If I'm going to have correct doctrine, I think if I believe all the right religious things about you fill in the blank... It could be baptism, how and how often we do communion, which which version of the Bible we read. It could be something like, if I come down on the right religious side of all the hot-button cultural topics of the day, then I will be one of the few people on the narrow road that gets to go to heaven when I die. That's what it sounds like when we pull these verses 
out of their context. But we know that this cannot be what Jesus is talking about here. For one thing, many people who seem to have correct doctrine have hearts full of unforgiveness or hatred, or they continue to be preoccupied with themselves. Furthermore, think about all the people who are not able to fully comprehend Christian doctrine, and they give themselves fully to Jesus in faith. And Jesus never went around asking people for correct doctrinal answers to theological questions. He just looked people in the eye, normal, everyday, confused, often scared people, and he looked them in the eye and he said, follow me, follow me. So what we believe matters. It matters a lot. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. So if Matthew 7, 13 and 14 isn't about signing off on a set of religious beliefs so you can avoid hell and get into heaven when you die, what is Jesus calling us to when he warns us away from the broad road and invites us to enter the narrow gate and walk the narrow gate road leading to life? If we take these verses in the context of this extreme challenge, these high expectations that Jesus just laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, it becomes pretty clear that the narrow road is where we demonstrate our confidence in Jesus by doing what he says. The narrow road, when we look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it becomes pretty clear that this is our opportunity to demonstrate our confidence in Jesus. And Jesus calls his followers to this active kind of confidence in him over and over and over again in the scriptures. Let me just lay out a couple of them for you. In John 15, listen to what Jesus does. He says this, I return my father's love by following his commands. You return my love by following my commands. I give you my joy so that your joy may be complete. It sounds a little bit like the narrow road, doesn't it? And then Jesus goes on in John 15 and he says this, This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. You are my friends when you do what I command. In Galatians, Paul has learned this message from Jesus because what's happening is some of the people in this uh, place, they are beginning to do religious things to show Jesus that they love him. And Paul says this incredible thing. He says in Galatians 5, 6, don't do that. That's not how you show your confidence in Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So Jesus says, if you want to follow my command, love each other as I've loved you. If you want to show that you love Jesus, the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself in love. So do you want to demonstrate your love for Jesus? Follow his command. Do you want to proclaim your belief in Jesus? Follow his command. Do you want to witness to a broken world? Follow his command. And what is Jesus' command? Love each other as I have loved you. So it's pretty simple. But I don't know about you. I'm not there yet. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some help 
to become that kind of person. And I have a feeling that you will too. And the only one who can make me into the kind of person who loves others as Jesus loved me is Jesus. He has to train me. He has to train me in a new way of life so that I can do that. So let me see if I can make this clear. When I heard that Orchard Hill was going to have a marathon team, I thought it sounded really cool. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be the kind of person who trains for a marathon like no big deal. But I'd never run a mile in my life. So I went into Don Williams' office, and I stood before his desk, and I said, Don, I've heard that anyone can run a marathon. Do you think I could run a marathon? I mean, look at me, Don. I've run and never run a mile in my life. And Don Williams looked at me, and he said, yes. And I believed him, even though I'd never run a mile. I trusted Don to shoot straight with me. And I'm just wondering, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt a tug or a desire to take part in something, to do something, to be a part of something, um, but you weren't sure that the advertisement that everyone was welcome meant you? Have you ever been there? Well, I had my answer. Yes, Carla. You can run a marathon. Yes, even you who are poor in running skills, you can run a marathon. Just like Jesus says, yes, you who are poor in spirit, Jesus says, even for you, the kingdom of heaven is available, especially for you, the kingdom of heaven is available. But now for me, I've got my answer. Yes, Carla, you can run a marathon, but I'm standing at the beginning of the narrow road. I have to turn my confidence in Don into actually doing what he said, which means training for a marathon. And for me, all that meant was running very slow for a very long time. It was pretty simple. I had to start training for a marathon. I had to take the narrow road of marathon training instead of the wide road of laying on my couch eating a bag of potato chips, thinking about how cool it would be to run a marathon. Do you get it? Walking the narrow road means becoming the kind of person who has so much confidence in what Jesus has done and in who he is that you convert that confidence into doing what Jesus told you to do. From one of my favorite authors and Jesus followers, Dallas Willard. What a different understanding of the narrow road. The narrow road is where I learned to follow Jesus. The narrow road is where I take time to read and know Jesus' teachings so that I can become the kind of person who walks the road of life, who believes that the Jesus way is the way to life. I want to say that one more time. The narrow road is reading and knowing Jesus' teachings and believing it to be the road to life, and then day by day doing what he said. So I want to take a minute and go back to Matthew 13 and 14, because there are some interesting things that we want to take a look at. Jesus said that few people find the narrow path, and he said that many people are finding the wide path. And I have some questions about that. Is it because there isn't very much room in the kingdom of heaven? 
Is it because there was a lack of resources when Jesus was building the narrow road? Is it, uh, is the narrow, the small gate hard to find so that not very many people get in? Or is Jesus simply making an observation about the way things are when he's talking about the wide and the narrow gate and the number of people on them? And here's what I think. Not very many people, including myself, live out a do to others what you would have them do to you kind of faith. Not many of us really believe that the sign that we are on the narrow road is actually living out a faith that is due to others what you would have them do to you. There aren't a lot of people who choose that narrow road today, and apparently it was true 2,000 years ago as well. Many of us try to accept enough of Jesus' blood to get us into heaven when we die. We don't really want to be transformed by Jesus. We like getting ticked off at people, lusting, being jealous, showing off our religion, hating our enemies. Can you imagine explaining that logic to Jesus face to face? Can you imagine standing face to face, eye to eye with Jesus and saying, hey, thanks for the ticket into heaven. But I don't, Jesus, I don't think you understand my life. I don't think you understand the pressure that I'm under. I don't think you understand the decisions that I have to make. I don't think you understand the hole that I have to dig out of. Thank you for the ticket to heaven, Jesus. But, and your teachings are really nice. They are. But really? You really actually want me to root anger out of my heart? Become a new kind of person? I need you to really listen to me for a minute. Trusting Jesus for your eternity, but doing whatever you want in your life here and now leaves a bad taste in the mouth of everyone watching. It is destructive. I don't think Jesus was talking so much about the eternal destruction of our soul in these passages. I think he's talking about our life right here and now. Here in this life, how we are relating to and living with our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our communities, nations, and ethnic groups. Jesus intends that his extreme challenge in the Sermon on the Mount be taken seriously. And it pleases him when we fill up on grace, when we go back to home base and, and we train along with all the other Jesus followers, that's the church, to live out his word in our real life right now. And in the process, we find ourselves engaged in the most exciting way to live. So the narrow road, found only by entering the narrow gate of Jesus himself. This is the way to life. Your faith is no longer about keeping the rules. It's about you and Jesus and you and other people. So one day, I was preparing for this teaching, and I was getting ready to go for a long bike ride. And my plan was to think and pray about these passages, the wide and the narrow gate, while I went on a lovely, quiet bike ride. When 
I was about to take off, one of my almost grown kids asked to go along. So I made this really quick mental shift. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, yes, yes, of course, of course you can go along. Uh, I'm going 15 miles. Are you up for that? 15 miles? No problem. Let's go. Seven and a half miles later, my biking buddy is over it. Clearly, this child was not up for a 15-mile bike ride. Thank you very much. An abrupt, angry stop in the middle of the trail causes a minor collision, and there we are just looking at each other. And I was angry, really angry. And I just let my anger fly, making my feelings known in a clear and colorful way. There was no question in this child's mind how I was feeling. I said all the words, all the words I wanted to say, and then I left the child on the trail and headed for home. All the way home, I was thinking and praying about the wide and narrow road. This is just like Jesus to turn a leisurely bike ride where I could think and pray about scripture into a real-life exercise on the wide and narrow road. I realized that I just had an object lesson. I had just taken a sharp turn off the narrow road right onto the wide road uh, of destruction with my words. Have you ever been there? Maybe you were there on the way to church this morning, because I know that happens. As I rode home, I prayed, Jesus, Help me walk the narrow road of living like you taught me to live. I could have handled that better. But grace to me, poor in spirit. I knew Jesus would give me the strength I needed to walk the narrow road. And by choosing the narrow road in this situation, it would look like forgiveness, grace, kindness, and love. And I knew that I would find life. The narrow road is always repairing a tear in a relationship. But I was still angry. I wanted to do it my way. The name of the wide gate is my way, actually. Uh, I got home first, I sat on the deck, and I was literally wrestling with Jesus about why my way was better than his way because I wanted this kid to know that I was still angry and that I had good reasons for why I was angry and to understand my feelings and to hear them and my desire to have my feelings heard And justify my anger actually blinded me to the person across from me whom I love. That is destructive. So I chose my way. And I know you can relate to this. I got a few last words in. The narrow road, the Jesus way, is a road of grace-filled high expectations. And I'm still scratching my head about how this happened, how do I set out intending to follow Jesus and end up back at home base, poor in spirit like I was after that bike ride? I know you can relate to this experience. This is just who we are. And it's why we need Jesus so desperately. We're just like Adam and Eve. When asked to trust and obey God, Our default is to head for the wide road and to do it our way. The good news is Jesus came into the middle of broken humanity, our broken human reality. And he says today, just like he said way back then, follow me. My father sent me to rescue you. 
My way is better than yours. It leads to life, not destruction. And our families, and our neighborhoods, and our communities, and our country, and our world desperately needs life. Jesus says, my way is paved with grace-filled, high expectations. You don't walk it alone. The Holy Spirit of God will go with you to guide you. But you have to decide if you trust me enough to follow. And that, my friends, is why we're here. It's why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's why we have a thing called Orchard Hill Church to help each other continue to encounter and follow Jesus every day of our life. We can never stop encountering and following and entering the narrow gate and training along the narrow road because the next generations are watching and they are learning from us. And in the process of training for the race and turning into the kind of people who do to others what we would have them do to us, in the process of that training, we reflect the love and grace of Jesus to a broken world. We become a billboard for Jesus, pointing people to him and to his way. That's the good news. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your faithfulness to us by sending your son Jesus to show us the way. Would you help us to trust you more? Whatever it is that's holding us back from complete trust in you, Jesus, would you help us to be able to identify that, have a secret, hidden conversation with you about it. Thank you for being present in our lives. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you didn't lay out the race course for us to run alone, but that you put others around us to encourage us and to help us to seek your grace and forgiveness when we fail. And now, as we remember that we sit in good company with people all across the world who are learning to follow you in the midst of a lot of brokenness. Would you, uh, would you just help us, Lord? Would you pour your love on us so that we're able to love others really, really well? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.